Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. Welcome to Weekly Jump, presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. This is our weekly episode reviewing first impressions of newer anime and manga titles. Let's jump in. Oh, anyways. Hey, everybody. Um, we oh. are back and at it with more uh, Weekly Jump goodness. Um, I am, I am Or badness, make... as the case may be. <laughs> mostly mostly goodness from like the stuff that we're covering this week and some what what a week from us just being idiots no let me tell you this week for me was so we each cover three things you know if you're new we each cover two anime one of us watches by ourselves one of us watches together so three anime total we each cover one manga and i (sighs) I think one of the things I watched was very bad. One of the things I watched was very okay. And one of the things I read was very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, without further ado, today. though, we, uh, we, we can start off. Okay. So, th- basically, basically, the things that we watched this week were from meh to bad. Um, and <laughs> our mangas were both fantastic. Um, yeah, so, so we, what do we do? We did, we both watched Beastars. We, then yeah. you watched a certain magical index, which is kind of following yep. on from the last two weeks. I yep. watched Zoid's Wild Zero. Uh, uh, sorry, actually, I watched Zoid's Wild. Zoid's Wild Zero was not available and is apparently completely unrelated to Zoid's Wilds. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so I watched Zoid's Wild. Sorry. Uh, and then, uh, Spencer, you read Kakuryu, Bed and Breakfast for Spirits. And yes. I read Kaiju number eight. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into our tag team because I felt like I walked into the wrong room at a Comic-Con <laughs> or what? an anime con. Okay, uh, so we're, we watched Beastars. I watched the first three episodes. How about you? Yeah, so I watched the first two, um, and okay. here's... Here's what I felt about it just first and foremost. Um, if you if you're not aware what Beastars is, um, it is a world that is completely filled with uh, the Zootopia creatures from it's Disney just Zootopia. Zootopia. And it's exactly that. Um, and also uh, they are way more in love with each other and there's so much drama, including the literal drama club. So <laughs> Yeah, so I like I don't want to get into Zootopia too much but it's very very similar like these are anthropomorphic animals that have sort of more or less relative proportions equal to their their real life counterparts I mean they're scaled down like there's a giraffe person I, I think they sort of go up to human size but the small animals are smaller yeah. uh so in imagine Zootopia, people walking around in a comic con that are like in furry so yeah, it, this one got a lot of this got a lot of press when it came out because people were making fun of it for being a show for furries. And you know, I don't have any friends that I know of who are who are furries personally. I think I knew somebody in college that was, but I don't know. Uh I don't I don't inherently have anything wrong with it. it it's like I think people should lay off the furries a little bit. Like, yeah, it's pretty out there, but like they're not really hurting anybody. And yeah, to each their own. Don't kink shame people. Yeah, like they're not. Yeah, they're not doing anything un- non consensual. They're not doing. You know, they're not harming each other. Like, th- leave them alone. So, uh, I think 
pretty much all the press I heard about this show was, oh, the furries are going to love this one. And like, I don't know, that just seems like a bad faith argument that's sort of like a snide sideways way of poking fun at furries. And again, I think that's a little bit of an unfair target. Uh, We've also been making fun of furries for a while. So like, I think the joke has played itself out. So going from that place, what else is this? And then we start watching it and I'm like, this is just Zootopia, the anime, Uh, not not literally. It's not trying to be an anime version of Zootopia. But in Zootopia, the story focuses on one canid. I think foxes are canid, right? Uh, it, there's a fox who is a hero and a rabbit who is a hero. And the fox is a boy and the rabbit's a girl. And there is this societal division between can, uh, carnivores and herbivores. And mm-hmm. uh, in... Uh, in Beastars, there is a wolf who's a boy who's a protagonist and a also rabbit who's a girl who's a protagonist. And there is a divide between carnivores and herbivores. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really similar. Uh, but Zootopia is really good. Um, and Beastars is really specific. Yeah, I think that it really scratches an itch for people that are just like, I want a touch more drama to my slice of life. And also, I like it when people are animals. If those are your two things, then you are going to like this show. Yeah. If those, if both of those things are like, I hate both of these, then you are going to extra hate this show. And if you're somebody who's like, who's like me, that's just like, hey, I can take or leave the animal people. And I can take or leave the slice of life stuff, but the action stuff I'm pretty interested in. And when you mix in like a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, a element of surprise and not knowing what's happening inside of the world and maybe it's going to cause it to crumble. Yeah, I, I'm going to be interested enough to keep watching for a little bit. Um, but this show did not grab me. Um, yeah. I think this is one of those ones that's going to be just a pass for me. Um, I, I It did not really scratch any itches that I, I was looking for. Um, and I, I at the end of the day, I was just like, I I don't feel it. Yeah, I'm actually a pretty big fan of the anthropomorphic animals thing. I think that there's a lot of fun creative space to be had with looking at the the ways that human traits can be animalistic or looking at the human traits that various animals would have because that's the, the way those animals are. I think that's a really fun place to play in. And I think this show gets into that very slightly, but it's mostly from the lens of... Uh, Our main character is the wolf protagonist. It seems like the rabbit is going to be an important character, but it it looks like it's mostly going to be from his perspective. And what's weird about this is it, it is kind of a slice of life, kind of like a high school drama thing, but it's really suddenly mature in ways that just don't feel like they work with the presentation. Like there's a scene where it can like the rabbit character is considered a slut by the other characters in the show. And they sort of slut shame her for being sexually active. And it sounds like she's kind of sexually active and maybe an irresponsible way. Like there is, she literally is, this isn't one of those things where it's like, this is an easy a where they're making fun of a girl for having sex when she hasn't had it. Um, but like she's been having sex with a lot of people and people are calling her a slut and they, they, you know, I don't know if you should call people sluts necessarily, but, 
you know, she has been sleeping with, like, people who have girlfriends. And, like, she's just not respecting existing relationships. So she's not being a very responsible, sexually active person. But, like, there's a lot of focus on that. And on the one hand, it feels realistic. Like, people that are sexually active in high school, like, when you're in high school, sex is this new crazy thing. And you don't know what you're doing. And you're like you can only think about that at all times and you're also terrified of it but it's the only thing you want and you just you don't know how it works and even if you start having it you kind of don't get it for a while like it just takes a it takes a while to figure out like who you are in relation to like having a sex life and so from that perspective i think that there is a lot of believability in these other students sort of deriding her for being so openly sexual and so easily sexual um but it's also just sort of like in the context of an otherwise relatively fluffy feeling piece and then there's another dark part where some students are getting murdered and eaten and that plays less into the weird sexual plot with the rabbit and more into the carnivore plot with the wolf and it seems a lot like the wolf is the villain (laughs) Even though he's also the hero, like the first three episodes play it up such that he will sort of suddenly be overcome with uncontrollable urges and attack someone, which also has really interesting, but also occasionally uncomfortable thematic connections to the sexual themes in the story. And it's just, it's a lot. It's really tense. And I think it's really understandable why someone would like this, but I didn't like it that much. But I did have this kind of thing like, uh, it's kind of like Twilight, where you're like, this isn't good, but I kind of want to know what happens. But it's not good, and I'm not enjoying it. So like, I yeah. I so watched it, and I, I was like, if this would if this would cut down to like the five important minutes, I would watch the rest. I might look up the Wikipedia article to see what happens, but I can't see myself really sitting down and watching the the nine remaining episodes. Uh, and the manga has mm-hmm. been gone for a while. So there's probably going to be more seasons of this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, but I think if you are really into that kind of like slice of life, sort of adult, but maybe like a little bit of like an edge lordy kind of adultish sometimes, kind of storytelling i think you can really get behind this uh it's also classified as a shonen according to some googling that i did and i don't agree with that yeah yeah anyways uh uh so uh, i i think that that takes us into our screen time uh so my screen time for the week was a certain magical index so here's the thing about a certain magical index how much did you watch um, it uh, so I watched the first three episodes of it. Um, it introduces you to two characters that are um, we have not seen before. If you are picking it up from a scientific railgun, um, a, a magical index starts out with a character that has the ability with his right hand to nullify any um, ability that is shot at him. It also introduces a, a, a strong disconnect between people that believe in magic in the world and people that believe in espers and connecting experts to scientific discovery as well as evolutionary tracks. So there's a lot of really cool world building that is inside of it. Like they don't believe they exist or they disagree on where they come from? 
Yes, there's a big disagreement and also there's different things that are happening with it. So like um the the one of the characters that's introduced very early in the show um is this kind of little it, it, think of her as almost like a chibi human um where she's just like like yes, I know chibi means cute, but I mean like she's just a little tiny human that is uh considered to be a nun or a someone from like the magical class of the world. Um she's wearing a robe and that robe is uh uh, said to be like completely impenetrable by anything magic or like if you tried to stab her with a knife right um and he has this ability that if he touches something with his right hand it will nullify it completely and so he's like i know it does this for esper abilities so i bet it does for magic too because i think they're the same thing and he touches the robe and the robe explodes um <laughs> there is a moment where like it gets a little like it's not fan servicey because it like immediately cuts away from it it does doesn't show you anything but it is like a you know awkward moment where a little tiny person is naked in front of a basically teenage guy um which is kind of creepy um and it's one of those things that i'm just like ah this is this is like one of those things inside of anime then like this is this is the thing that i i don't like a lot in anime is yeah where it's also it's just uh, like somewhat unrelated side note it makes it really hard to get people who aren't into anime into anime when you're like it's okay there's gonna be some weird sex stuff in every anime you watch ever but you just have to press on yeah so it, it, it that weird stuff happens here's here's my two takeaways from the show that mark it as kind of meh for me the show leans too heavily into like jokey jokey everybody has big random animated moments and doesn't get into the serious parts of things too much like it does that rick when he's told that he's small yes inside of full metal alchemist the original but not in full full metal alchemist brotherhood where brotherhood it actually feels like it's in the moment and the timing is better um this one feels more like well agree to disagree anyways um fma the the original has more of those kind of moments however neither one of those shows does it as much as this show does um and this show does not have a comedic timing that rings with me at all um i will say that as somebody who is very very interested in the world that the anime is creating i probably am going to be more down with reading the manga just because it feels like the manga i i I checked out the first couple of chapters of the manga and I was just like, okay, it's definitely played up more for the anime and it's it's not the same thing inside of the manga. Yeah, it seems and like a lot of that comes I, from the voice acting sometimes. Yeah, I I I really I really really was taken aback by it the way that it it resonated with me like that um uh, especially after like watching both of the different animes a couple of the first episodes of each one of them and seeing how I felt about it and then picking up the manga be, be like how can I compare and contrast these and immediately resonating with the manga way more than the anime um and that says a lot to the style that the ma- uh, the the anime company that picked it up is doing um I I think that there's a lot a lot a lot of timing that comes along with good directors good artistic directors good voiceover actors um and good studios in general um you'll notice with one punch man the first season is beautifully animated and the timing seems really crisp and tight um in the second season of one punch man there is some slack um 
it's way more pronounced in something like Seven Deadly Sins, where like the first season is really fantastic, except for like the massive amount of fan service. Um, but the second season, it's like it starts to take a dip. And then as you go further and further into the show, when they switch around their um, different studios, you're just like, oh, God, like I it, it's not living up to what it is. So. I'll leave you with that. I think this is one that if you if you feel the way that I do and you feel the world of the anime is really fantastic, but it's not really for you in the anime style, pick it up as the manga. The manga is fantastic. It leans more into the world building of it, and I, I think that it's one of those that you should definitely pick up. So let's go into your screen time for this week. Tell All me right. about Zoids. Zoids Wild. It's from 2018, I believe. Uh... So Zoids, my, I have a history with Zoids that's pretty light, but I, I just have these really fond memories of watching Zoids as a younger kid, uh, probably like middle school aged. And uh, I would, you know, my grandma would pick me up from work because I couldn't drive yet. My parents were working a lot or my grandma would pick me up from school. So uh, she would bring me home and she had cable and I got to watch anime there. And that was the first time I got really exposed to like Toonami and shit. And so Zoids, uh, I believe New Century Zero was on, the one with uh, the Liger Zero that has the three different forms it can change into after the base form and this, the big Velociraptor thing that it fights at the end. And I watched pretty much all of that. Like, I just happened to catch the whole series and I loved it. Uh, and I haven't watched it since then. I don't know how it holds up, uh, but I have really fond memories of it. So I was very excited to find that Zoids Wild was available on a uh, streaming service uh, because I've looked for Zoids periodically through the years and it's really hard to find on streaming. So uh, yeah, we watched Zoids Wild this week and um, it's okay. Uh, I think the thing that I like about it and probably the thing I like the most about my exposure to the Zoids franchise in general is the different designs. And this is this actually harkens to, I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, one of the things that I like the most about Pokemon and Digimon and, and sort of like vast world of cool designed things like that is seeing the creature design. Actually, it's one of my favorite aspects about like looking at old like Power Rangers episodes is like, how did they design this creature? What? How can I apply my sort of like adult knowledge of anime in Japan to the creature design to see if I can figure out like where it comes from or if it's based on like a myth that I know about now that I didn't know about as a kid and et cetera, et cetera. So like the creature design is really cool. This is also something I like with Transformers. I don't really care about the storyline of Transformers. I've never watched a lot of Transformers, but I think that the design of the Transformers is really cool. Seeing what they look like in their, you know, their humanoid shapes and their, their vehicle shapes and imagining how they get from one to the other like that it just sets the imagination going and i think zoids does that too because it is big giant you know mechs they are the zords from from power rangers they are the transformers in their monster mode you know the when they're the animal transformers they're those like it's cool and i like that a lot the story on the other hand pretty basic uh the world seems less like an interesting fantasy world and more like an excuse to have zoids and that's okay but it's not very thrilling and then just like the character design and the voice acting is very it feels very dumbed down i did watch the dub so it could be one of those situations like the original digimon series where the japanese version takes itself a little more seriously 
But the amount of times that there was sort of like slapstick humor and really big expressions, I suspect not. I think this show is just marketed at a younger crowd. Uh, I remember New Century Zero feeling a little bit more like teenaged, which is a real sweet spot for me. I enjoy things that are aimed at at sort of like that teenaged crowd. I like a lot of YA literature and obviously I love shonen anime. So like that stuff where it's just like, this is cool is good for me. And in this show, I felt like the, the creature designs were cool. There were, it's Liger again. I think there's always Liger. But uh, there's a whole team of Zoid users that that show up in the first episode, and they've got all kinds of different cool cool monsters. And I love dinosaurs. One of the heroes has a dinosaur monster, and the villains have dinosaur monsters. The villains are also hilarious, which lends credence to this being a children's show. They are not menacing at all, even though they are threatening a town and trying to steal zoids from other people and using bazookas there's just there's never a threat from them at all because they're just goofy um so i think i think the show is fun and if i'm gonna watch more of it i'm gonna watch it to see what other zoids there are because i think that the zoids are cool uh the zoids are also cg and the rest of the show is not uh and that integrates really poorly sometimes in a way that was very surprising because unlike in new century zero the zoids are smaller here so instead of having like a cockpit in their heads that the driver sits in and you kind of cut into like an in cockpit scene with the driver that's animated and an out of cockpit scene where you just have the the cg zoids in this the zoids are smaller so the the pilots sit like sort of on the back of their heads and so there's this animated dude sitting on a CG creature. And it, sometimes when the CG creature is moving, it's moving real smoothly because it's all CG. And the animated guy sort of like blips over and it just doesn't look great. So I think there's some problems with this show. Uh, again, I, I want to go back and rewatch New Century Zero at some point and see if that holds up. So it's hard for me to compare it to that. But in my memory, New Century Zero was a more... Uh, a more seriously told and higher stakes feeling story. Whereas this proposes that it has higher stakes, but the villains don't really present what feels like a threat. And so it seems more just like a fun adventure story. That's better for maybe like a younger audience or a really interested party. Okay. All right. So that takes us into our page flips of the week and mine was fantastic. And I know that Blake's is too. So we're now shifting into, we loved it phase. Yeah. Um, so, um, Kekariu, um, bed and breakfast for spirits is great. And it is a show that scratches an itch that I almost never get to get out of anime. And that is a really good fantasy storytelling that doesn't have to be all about the action. And I love that. Um, this, this manga is fantastic. And, uh, here's a couple of reasons why. One, it does humor really well. There's a couple of little, there's a, there's a character that can see spirits. Um, and she sees like these little water spirits that look like little turtles with art on their backs. And she's like, I bring them their little cucumber rolls every morning because if I don't, they're really obnoxious and they, they kind of yell at me as I walk past. <laughs> and one of them is just like, I didn't get anything. <laughs> 
so like it's it's really funny in that sense it has a beautiful storytelling um arc to it and that reminded me of something like mushishi um where it's it it gives you like a, a taste of the world and then it slowly draws you in and it also has this a, a really unique feeling to it um that reminded me the most of the movie big fish um do you remember in big fish there's that really amazing scene where you you see all these people that like come to the funeral for the 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 father or the grandfather that dies and he is told all these like big you know over the top stories about what his life was and some of them you can believe and some that you can't believe well there is a character um the main character's grandfather her adopted grandfather um and uh he uh he apparently could see spirits inside of his life um and at his funeral all these people arrived and they're telling all these stories about him and they're like he was kind of a swindler how did you get roped in with him everybody knows him he's apparently was a player throughout his life he he spawned a lot of children like had a lot of promiscuous sex with people apparently um but the other thing about him is that he had this complete other life that it seems like a lot of people didn't know about and that is this world of this spirit like hotel um and i i only want to tell you about the first one because it leaves you on a really intense cliffhanger um and you should definitely read it because it does a great job of really like um getting you in and turning you up to like you know like a nine in interest um and then just like pulling the rug underneath you and just dropping you into the spirit world um it's it's really beautifully beautifully drawn um the character is a very interesting uh female character um inside of this world so that is really interesting and uh the way that they do their uh their style of artwork it's this mix between like um uh, old, old time, um, I wanted to call it olden time, but, um, it's old style artwork of like spirits from like, um, I would see them in like scrolls or old watercolors from Japanese artwork. Um, at the same time, mixed with like this new and like new anime looking person inside of this world. So there's a really cool mix, and there's also a really fantastic panel layout. And we don't really talk about that as much uh, on our normal coverage of these, but I definitely want to point it out here because the way that the panels are broken is very interesting. It's not um, it's not one of those where it's just like like a like a comic book where you have like uh this panel this panel then you kind of go over to them they sort of overlap in a weird way there's different breaks there's different like overlapping where the panels are going to be laid onto the page with even like the wording you have to kind of follow it along like you're snaking through the page and that really reminds me of good storytelling from the creator's perspective and not letting anything fall to the wayside especially when you're thinking about different things where you can tell the story and drive the story forward not just with the story itself because the artwork is also driving the story the artwork is also bringing people in and using that paneling as part of your artwork is a really cool touch and it just makes me kind of go over the top for this creator um if you have never heard of this um I would definitely tell you to pick it up. Um, if you're looking for it online, uh, Viz is a place to get it. I think you have to kind of, you, you have to purchase some of them. Um, but the, the, the art is done by, um, Wako, uh, Wako Ioka. Um, I'm definitely pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, the original story was by, um, uh, Midori Yuma. 
and the character design was Lahura is the the different people that worked on it. And the biggest reason I wanted to make sure to point out those people is because I think they kind of do a little bit of a masterclass of new manga and the way that you can play around with it. Um, and I I loved this manga. I think that it is one that I am going to continue reading. Um, it's one that I would not uh, be surprised if it has an anime adaptation coming out. I had, didn't check if it had one, um, but I wouldn't be surprised surprise if it was coming out um but i would really like it to be done by the same studio that did demon slayer um and the biggest reason why is i think that mix of like um like uh almost like watercolor and uh like weird splashes of mixed media where it feels like would really lend itself a lot of credence inside of this this uh this this property okay that sounds yeah. really good yeah, it's it's really good, man. It it was it was possibly my my like high point of of reading or watching anything this week. Okay. Well, well, I... before we get into this, oh. hold on. We oh. got to tell everybody that if you wanted to be into our our drawing for our next thing, you need to number one do it. Um, and number two, you have to send it over to us in any sort of direct messaging. Um, and it's my murder watch. So send us that key phrase and you'll be entered into our next drawing. My murder watch. Yep. Okay. Okay. Go into it. Kaiju number eight. I read the first two chapters (laughs) and I had to stop myself from reading the third chapter because we needed to record this episode. Oh, so good. So uh, I'm going to probably spoil the first chapter and try not to get too much into the second chapter. And then, of course, I don't know what happens after that. But uh, basically, um, Kaiju number eight. uh, So I was expecting sort of Pacific Rim, and that's more or less what you get here. Pacific Rim, except instead of fighting the giant kaiju monsters with uh, giant robots, you fight them with big-ass guns. And uh, so the the manga starts with a kaiju attack that is very quickly dispensed with. And then it turns out that the focus of the story is this guy named Kafka, who is uh, working in the cleanup crew for these monster attacks, which is really fun because you actually do see that a little bit in uh, Pacific Rim. But for the most part, it's not the kind of thing that you think about. Like the, the giant monster is down and the day is saved. But actually, the giant monster is now a giant corpse that needs to get removed or it's going to decompose and ruin a lot of shit. So uh, the main character is working in this team. He wanted to work in the defense force, the people that actually fight against the kaiju and quell them. Uh, And you see some flashbacks to him sharing a childhood with this girl who turns out to be like a very popular and well-known member of the defense force. When they were kids, their village or town or whatever was attacked by uh, a kaiju and they vowed to work together to fight the kaiju off. And now she is uh, living up to that dream and he is not. Uh, We find out pretty quickly that he tried to be in the defense force, but he felt like he was pushing up against his limits and just couldn't make it. And so he gave up on that dream. Then a new hotshot guy comes onto his team. This guy is like, I guess, interning with them or something. He wants to be a part of the defense force, but he's stopping by their team for some reason on the way to that goal. Uh, maybe he's not old enough or I don't know. I, I don't remember if there was an explanation given as to why he's there instead of going straight to the Defense Force tryouts, but he's there. And his goal is to join the Defense Force. And uh, on the first day, one of the one of Kafka's co-workers is like, hey, he wants to join the Defense Force just like you did. And 
the guy's like, well, why did you give up on your dream? And Kafka's like, oh, well, you know, sometimes there are limitations for people. And once you find those limitations, you just have to sort of accept them and alter your goals. And the kid is like, I don't accept that. I won't accept that. <laughs> I don't understand it. I I won't understand it. And I wouldn't want to understand it. And it's God, just I like, love this character so much. He's yeah, just like man. the most heavy handed, ridiculous character. And after like watching, watching Bleach this week, you explaining him, it was just like, shut up, are you? <laughs> <laughs> this is also, uh, this really hit home to me also, because I feel like I've adjusted my dreams a lot into my life. And I, as a kid used to be the kind of person that was like, I would never, you know, sacrifice my dreams for anything. And as an adult, I'm like, I don't know that that's very realistic. And so I kind of see both sides of it. And I really felt like these characters were my internal struggle fighting against each other. (laughs) So that was great. Uh, (laughs) So um, they, of course, get paired up and they're doing intestine duty, which is the worst job you can get on the cleanup crew. And uh, Kafka is really nice to the kid and the kid feels remorse for being a dick to him earlier and kind of apologizes. Uh, Well, he doesn't apologize. He thanks him for, you know, helping him get through his first day. And it's just it's actually like this a very sincerely heartwarming moment like this. This first chapter moves fast and I don't feel like it should have earned the emotional highs and lows that I felt in it, but it does. It just hits really well like by the time you get there he just did a good job of establishing these characters as being polar opposites and then showing how the wall between them can kind of soften in a way that really warmed my cold dead heart and so (laughs) i really liked that then there are these smaller kaiju called yoju that sometimes follow on from the big ones Uh, There's a little insert at the end of the first chapter that says that sometimes they follow on the path made by them or they latch onto them and are carried into the city or they're created by them or all kinds of things. So somehow a Yoju is here and uh, it it starts attacking them. And man, this was the moment where I was like, oh, this is Attack on Titan. But it's not. (laughs) It's I kept expecting it to be Pacific Rim and Attack on Titan. And it definitely shares DNA with both. But it's not them. Uh, Oh, no. The the guys try to avoid the monster, and in a shocking twist, there is no sudden power-up from them. Like, the monster is killed when someone else arrives and takes it out, and it is the defense yep. force. It's not like a new character. It's just, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is not the moment when the crazy thing happens. Uh, but then the crazy thing happens at the hospital later. A yep. <laughs> creepy kaiju monster shows up floating over Kafka, and it's like, oh, I found you at last. And then it crawls in his mouth, and then the kid looks over at him, and instead of Kafka, there is a kaiju sitting there. A humanoid kaiju. And the design of this thing is so cool. It's on the cover. So if you just look up kaiju number eight, you'll see this sort of like humanoid monster with a sort of like bone face. It's awesome. This is very cool. He's just like, he's just like, what are you looking at? Uh, Yeah, that's the other thing. So this, this anime is cool. This manga is cool. There was not nearly, I was expecting this to be like big ass kaiju fights. Uh, like a like one of the Godzilla movies where it's like, you know what you're getting. You want to see big monsters smash into each other like action figures. And that was not really in the first chapter at all. Uh, but also the first chapter ends on sort of a cliffhanger. So I read the second chapter to see what happened. There's a little bit of kaiju fight in there. So I, I think this is very exciting uh, from that angle. Also, it's hilarious. 
And yes. longtime listeners will know that that's a pretty high bar to clear for me. I usually do not resonate with comedy in manga or in anime very much. There are obvious yeah. exceptions like One Punch Man. Uh, and, you know, there's usually a joke or two here and there that'll get me. But like this, I, w- I laughed out loud multiple times while reading this alone in my house. Like, yeah. this is funny. And... It has artwork. The character designs remind me of Fire Force uh, in that there is a simple clarity to the designs. They're definitely like anime in general is a sort of simplifying of the features of the human face to get across the expressiveness that you need. But there is a there is a particular smoothness and simplicity and clarity to the design of these human characters. And they don't they're not like wild hairdo kind of anime characters they look like pretty much normal japanese people but they feel so real the artwork is Mm -hmm. so good it's also really good for the monster design and it feels totally different without feeling like it belongs in something else uh and also in a rare treat on the shonen jump uh, app some of the pages are in color And that works really well in this series, especially one of the pages in chapter two. This is so good. It's hilarious. It's actually really funny throughout. My my only complaint was that the first chapter is pretty slow. If you have high expectations for this being an action-packed monster fight manga, the first chapter pretty much does not satisfy those desires. However, it seems like the series is going to, and the first chapter was so endearing and so funny that I enjoyed it anyway and by the time i got to the end i could not leave it at that i had to read the second chapter because there was such a cliffhanger i needed to know what happened and honestly the second chapter kind of has one too and i only stopped because we needed to record uh yeah so yeah this was great i can't i can't recommend this enough yeah this one is a complete jump in this one is you know hands down get it get on to it it's going to be one of those shows that i think is going to break out i think Um, so too i think this is going to be a big hit i also i think this one's going to have an inevitable anime adaptation it's too cinematic not to and the only thing that i don't like about that is that they're definitely going to cg the monsters and i think that sucks (laughs) yeah this i suspect this will probably be entirely in cg but what i would really want is for this to be i mean i would obviously want it to be high quality you know hand animation with cg assists like my hero academia and one punch man season one but uh you know i would settle for decadence uh, that mm. uses CG and incorporates it really well. And if we could get like decadence levels of production value on a Kaiju number eight adaptation, I would be happy. Otherwise, I think they're going to really take away from the experience. But reading it is great, and you should do yeah. that thing. If if I am going to if I am going to say any if if any <laughs> if any people are wondering what our our preferred place for this to go would be mine would definitely be studio bones. I'm just going to throw it out there. Always. I think that studio, I think that studio bones would do a, a astounding job with this. Um, and I, I think that if, if possible, let's, let's try to, let's try to get on it. Yeah. Let's, Um, uh, let's start a fucking campaign and be like bones. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and if not them, then whoever does decadence. Yeah. Um, Stick with us after these credits and we'll give you an important life lesson. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. 
Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Greetings, anime fans. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the editor-in-chief for The Geekly Grind, a place where geeks can go to escape their weekly grind. We're coming up on our fifth year of operation, and to celebrate, we searched high and low for some of the coolest podcasts out there in order to create a new geek-centric podcast network. And what we found were three awesome shows that are sure to be a great addition to any geek's media menu. Of course, there's Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, which is this wonderful show, which features an additional episode weekly now to cover new anime and manga from our friends at Viz and Funimation. You can also dive into the world of comics with Comic Book Keepers, where Chris and Lance chew the fat about their favorite heroes, villains, and comic series, as well as the impact that comics can have on our lives. Finally, if you're seeking a fantastical and fun retreat, Knights of the Rolled Table is an engaging and family-friendly D&D adventure starring talented improv actors. With three fantastic podcasts on the books and more on the horizon, make sure to check out the Geekly Grind Podcast Network as well as our regular content at www.thegeeklygrind.com. We'll see you next week, and until then, don't swallow the monster that comes into your hospital room, okay?